Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today I'm taking you on a short trip to space. Less than 600 people traveled to space so far. All of them, and all of those that are about to go to space, have a lot to be aware of and train for. Apart from the engineering skills, space requires a strong psychological stability and good physical condition. Long-lasting confinement can easily put people under severe pressure, then there's the influence of gravity on various body systems from cardiovascular, brain or musculoskeletal systems. And this year, NASA published an interesting study of two twin brothers. One traveled to space while the other one stayed on Earth. And the researchers monitored both and compared what changes happened to the twin who traveled in space. I talked about all this with Ilaria Sinelli, a biomedical engineer with a PhD in neural engineering. While she's not an astronaut, at least not yet, she's very passionate about space and has completed the space studies program of the International Space University in the Netherlands. She is an associate fellow of the Aerospace Medical Association, president-elect of the Aerospace Human Factor Association, and member-at-large of the Life Science and Biomedical Engineering branch. We spoke briefly at the ExpoMed conference in the beginning of October in Berlin. In the following discussion, she explained why is space medicine so important for more than just those currently interested in space travel, which, by the way, is coming close to be available to the wider public? Ilaria also talked about what happens to the human body in space and what are analog missions, missions analyzing human behavior and health in extreme environments on Earth as a preparation for space exploration. Enjoy the conversation, and if you're new to the show, visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to learn more about the show, past episodes, and more. Now, to space. Ilaria, there are various specifics uh, space has, gravity being the most known of them to the public. So what exactly is space medicine and factors affecting the human body? It includes many things. So how you preserve human health in space and includes physical health and mental health. And uh, and then uh, what are the conditions, the medical conditions that may arise because of the lack of gravity? What kind of uh, influences are we talking about specifically? So there's an effect on muscles, there's an effect on bones. Um. Yeah, there are many different effects. Actually, each system of the body reacts in different times. So uh, it might take like six months for all the body to kind of readapt. Um, however, the bone demineralization is a process that cannot be stopped because bones react with the gravity force. And if you remove the gravity bones, so then uh, you have demineralization. So the bone reduces its thickness and you lose minerals. 
Um, for example, the neurovestibular system can adapt in a few days. So one of the, let's call it one of the symptoms that you have when you enter in space, you feel dizzy. Um, if you astronaut to throw up, it's like going on a trip on a mountain in a car. It's the same things. But there are solutions, of course, to that. And there are others, a system that take a more time, longer time, like the cardiovascular system. And there are other symptoms, for example, um, uh, headache. Headache may result in an increase in the intracranial pressure. And there are very recent studies that open up a huge world for space medicine to discover how the relation of the um, blood pressure and increase in intracranial pressure may be related to other um, systems as well, like the neurocellular system. You said before the body adapts. So the body actually adapts in space? Yeah, but the body can adapt. So we are in a way flexible and we can adapt. The majority of the processes that are, have been identified are called pathological processes, which is mean they are part of the aging processes. This is how we recognize that. However, um, I'm very positive and I think that if we can have control on the adaptation, on the human body adaptation, we might end up actually... Um, how can I say, um, speeding up the cure of diseases. Up to now, we had, we can consider only astronaut population, which is a very particular population. But if we use the lack of gravity for curing diseases and initiate the processive of, that, that would be like, it would be like a new hospital, a totally new hospital up there. Space is an extreme uh, environment. To which extent is it possible to prepare the human body for that environment prior to entering it? For example, there are other extreme environments that humans can tackle. Some people, if they prepare, can walk on hot coals. Um, there's capabilities as holding your breath underwater. An average person can do it for two minutes. The uh, Guinness World Record for holding your breath underwater is 24 minutes and three seconds. And then there's hypothermia, which uh, starts uh, when the body temperature drops under 35 degrees, but there are known cases when people survived and were revived even when their temperature dropped to 14 degrees. Um, so, you know, from the flexibility that the human body obviously has, how do the preparations for space look like? How can we adapt before? When you look back in history, uh, people have started using the programs for the military and for, for the early aviation and uh, so in prep for a training astronaut because at that time the, the race was ascending a human not actually uh, preserving the health of the person in space when we figure out then the importance of the humans in space and we try we many um, selection and training programs has been uh, has been um, um, written and this is part of a huge research program so you have to understand that space agency are training astronauts in that with their facilities, but they are also using uh, extreme environments on Earth. It can be any type of desert, hot desert, white desert, red desert, underwater. 
There are many different types. All of these environments help the person that is under training to develop a specific skills and ability that the person is we need in space. So it's a long process. It's actually... It can be seen as a never-ending process, but the most important lesson, at least that I got from my personal experience, uh, try, try, and try, and try again. Because what you find out is that all of these experiences will push your body to reach such a performance because it's part of surviving. So if you face a life-threatening event, then you have to learn how to react. And the very next times, you're going to be even better. And even better, but you have to repeat that. So it's not easy for the mind to face uh, uh, such a challenges, but it twists the mind and it triggered the mind to a specific focus. So it's, um, it is true that training is, is a huge part, but as, uh, aside, beside that, it's important even the mindset and the focus, because when you're going to be alone in space, you are there with a crew, with a crew of three, four, it's dependent on the mission, but what are the, the difference at the end of the day is the mindset and the focus. So keep the mind clear and understanding that safety comes first, the first day of the mission or the last day of the mission. Trainings that are done on Earth, not in space, are called uh, analog uh, missions. So these are testings to prepare astronauts uh, for, for missions. You actually went on quite a few of these analog missions. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? How did those experiences look like? Who can actually do that? And what can we test in analog missions? An analog astronaut is a civilian, is a person that it's willing to um, get into a mission for testing part of a, of a space mission complexity. So the uh, setting and the structure of this type of missions are, um, are very wide. It's, a, it's a very embrace a very wide range. So you might end up seeing very simple exercises, training exercises, or very um, difficult mission in the desert, for example, in Antarctica, and so on and so forth, or months or years. So I call it uh, a wild jungle, and the reason is because they are not really strict regulation. So my contribution is that I start as an as a individual. And I saw because I, I wish for myself for my future to become an astronaut in the future. And I felt like, well, in the meantime, I want to experience on myself and taking so many lessons learned in order to bring and to increase the quality of my research in this sector to see how it's going to be the long-term implication of what we are researching nowadays. And uh, then I started getting, um, I started running mission as commander. And for the majority of, of, of the time that happened, and uh, it, it, it is fun. You see how it can be different, be uh, how different can be leadership position, and, and how hard it is. Because priority is the crew, safety first, and then the mission objectives and sciences and everything. Um, Anyone really can be part of that. It is important to keep in mind that safety can be really very, it can be very diverse. It depends on the um, country where the analog facility is based on and on the regulation itself. So I wish to all of the others that are willing to take part of this, this journey to make sure that they're going to be in safe hands. So how long were the analog missions that you went 
are than uh, about seven, eight analog emissions. So the shortest one was uh, four days, and the longest one was about uh, three weeks. So it, it, it is important to say that it's not that short missions are easy. Actually, what, what it happened in that short mission is that one person got um, a panic attack, we got a serum, we didn't have, we lost food, there was, uh, um, we got many uh, issues for the environment, for the cold environment, all the battery drains. So we were kind of facing life-threatening events, even during that full day. And then sometimes in a very long mission, nothing really happened. Everything is great. But it's, it's, it's depend on the management of the mission and on the leadership itself that it gives the first footprint to the start of the mission. To which extent uh, can these analog missions be stopped because of an occurrence such as you described? So somebody really has a panic attack. So, because for, from a psychological perspective, um, the mental health issue is a big uh, research topic in space health. And in space, you really are far away from any help. Whereas in the analog missions, uh, you still know, you know, that in theory you're close to uh, civilization. Yeah, that's true. So um, analog missions are very good for extracting data that belongs to uh, neurocognitive performance, human behavior, and human factors. So... Um, the person needs to be trained with time. So for my mission, I, I need at least a six months of training to make sure that the person really understand that there are dangers and that can have a real impact on the personal health and on the team itself, because you have to consider two entities, the single individual and the crew itself. Well, it's a, it's as long, it's a slow way. You need to get adapted step by step. With beginners, it's hard because it's easy that beginners get scarce. Um, uh, therefore, it is important that there is at least one or two person in the crew that has the ability and responsibility of guiding people when they are getting scared. And people, when they're, when they're scared, when they're facing light threatening, when they go back to all the habits, and uh, for example, habits can be drinking, can be calling people from home, or can be just escaping. All of those behaviors are normal, but it's important that the person react in a safe context. Uh, in April this year, uh, NASA revealed the results of a so-called twin study. Uh, so basically they followed uh, uh, two twins. One was in space and one was uh, on Earth. And they checked various uh, changes biological on their uh, body and then compared like the effects that space has on the human body. I'm sure you know the research really well. Um, have, you, have you heard of it? Yes, I know. I, it, it's, it's a fantastic paper. Actually, they have combined such a huge work in one paper only. And there are many results. The important space is that here this is a specific example where you had two individuals with a very similar, similar genomic background and they studied the differences there. Uh, introduced by the lack of gravity. The important aspect of space is that everything then can be translated back to Earth. So we are sending people up there to see, to identify what is happening 
a larger scale, for example, in the behavior or in the tissue, but even at the level of the genome of the DNA. And the reason is because we think and I think personally that space can be a solution for many diseases on Earth, and we actually know more, we actually can study more about the processes, the pathological processes that we have, that we have been identifying on Earth. What do you, do you have in mind? What kind of diseases do you think could benefit from uh, space health research? Well, the, for example, the brain in goes uh, undergoes uh, um, adaptation and the base of it brain is a very fascinating part of the body because there you find that temperature electricity and mechanics goes in parallel and are united when you remove gravity the brain kind of reshape itself and reshapes specific part for example the part that is controlling the legs instead of shrinking because the legs are not used in space it's increasing so if we find a way to control the adaptation of the brain, through that, we might be able to recontrol how we are moving arms, how we are um, feeling things, how we are moving our body in a gravity environment. To which patients would that uh, help? I believe that could help many differently able people. Um, it, it is important to say that up to now, astronauts are very healthy, and that people, they are so lucky to have a higher physical and mental performance compared to the average on Earth. But if you look at the future, or, um, or, or mission on the Moon or Mars, it's very likely that astronauts may become differently able people throughout the mission. And this is because on many hazards to, to astronaut health during, during the duration of the flight. So we had to think about, and we had to define healthcare, looking at such disprivileged people with such great performance, but also what are we going to do if those people will became differently able in space? Can we provide healthcare to them? And if, if we are able to, then we have to translate those advances in space medicine back to Earth, because on Earth we have people that are differently able, and now, unfortunately, they don't still have the full benefit of digital health that normal people have. That's a really important point. Uh, space medicine is not cheap, and uh, less than 600 people went to space so far, so naturally one would wonder how does that benefit humanity on a broader scale, apart from hoping that by looking at space medicine today, we will be able to help people that will travel to space in future and especially with debates coming uh, up that we might even live in space someday. That's correct. So there is an initiative which is called the International uh, Space Medicine Summit Bellagio, which is run by the Aerospace Medical Association. So this group of experts, which I'm part of, they are translating the advances of space medicine to Teresa care. And one easy example, it can be the shift in, uh, in night turn, for example, astronauts had to, um, they undergo sunset and sunrise many times during 24 hours, 24 terrestrial hours. 
So they are impacted by the differences of light. They cannot sleep when they like to. So they have a very strict uh, schedule. The way in which the um, uh, um, schedule of the, the which with the activity are planned on the ISS is important because the same advances and the way in which astronauts react to such a schedule can be important for people they are working night shift. It can be people they are working in companies, for example, in the hospital pilots and uh, uh, firemen, all these type of works, they undergo such a very uh, extreme condition and they, I'm, I'm sure the space medicine can actually help the, the quality of their daily life. You've been following the research for many years now. Uh, what kind of changes and progress are you noticing in the way the researchers are approaching? Well, Space medicine now has, uh, it's, it's a kind of like, uh, it's a still a baby in medicine. And the reason is because we are finding out there are charted medical conditions in space, but there is a lot of different things that we have no idea due to the space environment. So it's a, it's a baby in medicine. What is fascinating is that as a discipline, it's strictly linked with the operational side, with the translational side, but also with engineering, human factor, and agronomics. So you cannot take this part of medicine out from the cost and from, from a multidisciplinary context, which gives away to, to the opportunity to people to really think out of the box when you are in space medicine. How do you see the potential of the new technologies that are being developed and are then used uh, for space medicine? So are there technologies that are specifically designed to address uh, space, uh, earth uh, communication and the specifics of for example, telemedicine in space, or do you see it going the other way around? You know, that technologies that are built here, like mobile health, like telemedicine, are then translated to space medicine? Uh, emerging technologies as such, uh, uh, display technology, I'm now referring to what is usually called VR, AR, and so on, that has been tested on, uh, on the ISS, on the International Space Station, Ages ago, decades ago, there was one of the very first studies. Of course, the tools were really different. They were bulky devices. So they haven't been done a lot of efforts because it needs, it, it's a high cost technology. Then when we have, when people develop like, um, innovative way to reduce the weight and so on, that there is a progress and there is a business case, then of course all of those are applicable. Um, you see, um, I think it comes in, in both ways. On earth, we benefit of a very high speed progress in terms of emerging technology. And of course, we think that those are applicable to space. However, we had to look at the requirement of the space environment and what is really needed. Because it's important to have entertainment. It's important to have, to have fun, to have arts. But it's also important to look at the, um, real needs of the mission and, and the person itself because we cannot transfer anything that we produce on earth back to there and it's important for two reasons first because what is produced by here on earth is business driven what is done by space agency is purpose driven all of those are different business sector they run on an ethical and on a legal system they are very very different so it is true that it can be translated but not all of that 
can be translated and, and applied to space. Do you think you will fly to space in your lifetime? Virgin Galactic announced this year that commercial space flights will be available. They're supposed to be available this year, actually. And the same was promised by uh, Blue Origin, the space effort by Amazon.com. Uh, uh, and the cost is predicted, okay, to be between 250000 to a few million dollars. But still, you know, um, all disruptive technology was extremely expensive the beginning and became affordable uh, after a decade or even less i'm sure with the years like if you just wait other like other decades then it became a new aviation it's like an aviation before it was uh, it was like impossible to think that everyone can take a flight every day now it's just like a daily routine and no one is got over excited to be at the airport because it's normal i'm sure it's going to be the same things for space for commercial space flight. Well, I wish myself to become um, a commercial astronaut, and this is why, and the reason for which I'm training in the extreme environment, because my wish is, I wish myself becoming, and if I'm not gonna be able for any type of reason in my life, well, I wanna facilitate the way to others, because it's a privilege to look at our planet, to understand the real importance of space exploration for exploration and Pacific purposes itself. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. For more information, visit www.facesofdigitalhealth.com or browse through the past episodes in your podcast player. Stay tuned. <laughs>